Hey, I want to invite you to turn to Romans 10. If you brought a Bible this morning, if you didn't bring a Bible, there are some under the seats around you. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love for you to keep one of those as your own. It's our gift to you. But Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to start this morning as we continue in this series titled, My Way Back. And we're talking about the importance of sharing our stories. And if you were here last week, I hope you heard clearly that if you are in Christ, you have an important my way back story to share. And your my way back story is the story of how you found your way back to God. And it's a powerful story. It's likely marked by struggle and grace and life transformation. And it's a story that needs to be shared. So to help model this, I want you to hear from my friend, Josh Scheider. Check out his my way back story. I grew up in a Catholic home, went to church, but uh, didn't really understand. I partied a lot when I was younger. I started doing drugs and alcohol at a young age. Um, I ended up becoming a father at a really young age. I ended up marrying uh, my older girl's mother when I was around 21. She took my girls and left about seven years after we had been married. Uh, it was probably the worst time of my life. Was I was at rock bottom, uh, just staying afloat with whiskey and being alone. During that season uh, in my life where I was constantly uh, drinking and that's when I was out at a bar and I met my wife, Jamie. We've been inseparable pretty much ever since. Uh, we were invited on Easter of 2015 to uh, check out Genesis with her uh, parents. Her dad had uh, invited me several times, so I thought this was a, a good opportunity to come. Uh, Easter holidays are always a, a good time for new beginnings. Decided to pick up one of the Bibles off the floor that they're always offering, and I started uh, really reading the Bible and understanding you know, who Jesus was and why it was so important to accept him. Decided it was time to be baptized and really fully commit my life to Christ. Um, I was living a life that I just couldn't manage. I needed help uh, and I needed more help than what anyone else around me could give me. I needed Jesus to really take control and lead our lives. So that's what I did, I, I surrendered it all. My uh, life has done a, a 180. Uh, our lives have changed drastically and my kid count has went from uh, four children to eight children, which is you know <laughs> all because of God. I changed my degree in school from IT to ministry. I, you know, I feel God wants me to learn as much as I can to be able to teach others everything that you know he needs me to teach them. I don't know where I'd be without Jesus and I'm just so glad I found my way back to God. I'm Josh Scheider and this is my way back. Let's celebrate that story. Isn't that cool? <clears throat> 
Man, if, if you don't know Josh, he's a great guy, and uh, he talked about his kid count going from four to eight, and if you don't know the Scheider story, they just adopted four kids uh, the end of last year, brought them into their family, and uh, just a cool story. Now, last week, we challenged you to write your My Way Back story using a simple outline, and if you weren't here last week, I hope you got one of those outlines as you came in. If you didn't and you want one, there's more of them out at the Info Hub, but uh, we'd like for you to join us in this, to take time this week and to write out your story so that you can share it in two minutes or less. And we want you to think about three things. We want you to think about what life was like before you met Jesus. Or maybe you grew up in church. What was your life like before you got serious about following Jesus? And then think about how you met Jesus. Did a friend or a family member invite you to church? Did you go through a hard time that maybe led you to God? Or was there an event uh, that maybe inspired you to get serious about committing your life to him? And then finally, what difference has Jesus made in your life? What, what does life look like now? How has knowing Christ impacted you and what has changed? So if you haven't done it already, would you spend time this week writing out your story and then we want you to take out your phone or your, your computer and record yourself sharing your My Way Back story. And you can send that video to the email address provided on the outline, and uh, we'll post it on our Vimeo page. There's already a bunch of Genesis stories there uh, on our Vimeo page. I encourage you to go and check those out. Some pretty neat stories already there. Now, every Christ follower has a powerful My Way Back story. But what I want you to understand this morning is this. Just having a story isn't enough. And that's what we're going to see in Romans chapter 10. So let me set the context for you just a little bit before we read. The people of Israel have been waiting for good news for centuries. And they went from one bad scenario to the next. They had been conquered. They had been taken off in captivity. Their temple had been destroyed. Their holy city had been ruined. Uh, and even after the temple was rebuilt and the Jews were allowed to return home... Uh, they came under the very heavy and oppressive hand of Rome. And through it all, they were waiting for the Messiah who their own prophets said would be coming to save them. But as we read Romans 10, the wait is over. The Messiah has come. And Paul writes this, starting in verse 9. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So notice that Paul points to Jesus as the one uh, that the prophets had spoken of. And he says that, that Jesus' salvation isn't only for Israel, but that it's for everyone who would believe. Paul says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this was completely unexpected because the, the, the Jews believed that they were the chosen people. They were the chosen people. Israel was God's chosen people. And all throughout history, from Abraham until the time of Jesus, it was thought that the Messiah was coming to rescue the Jews, to rescue Israel. But what they didn't understand was that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
And man, that's really good news for you and me because it means that now anyone can find their way back to God and anyone can be saved. But then Paul says something that's very important and it's something for those of us who are in Christ to consider. Listen to what he says in verse 14. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write that down. How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And I want you to think about this. How did you come to know about Jesus? Like, didn't someone tell you? Maybe it was a friend or possibly a coworker. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home and your mom and dad told you about Jesus or, or possibly a pastor that you knew. Who was it that shared the good news of Jesus with you? When I think about that question myself, uh, my mind initially is drawn to my parents. My mom and my dad were the first to share the good news of Jesus with me. Many of you know that my dad was also my pastor growing up, and I was raised in a Christian home. But I also think about uh, people like Tim Hester, and I think about Mark and Lisa Hampton, and these folks were my youth pastors growing up. I think about a guy named Jeff Higginson, who took notice of me in high school, and he showed me what it means to live for Christ. And I think about a man who some of you probably know, a man named Dan Crosley. And Dan served at White River Christian Church until he passed away this last summer. But for the last 14 years, Dan was a mentor to me, and he always modeled the love of Jesus in his life. These are the people who shared Jesus with me. Who was it for you? Who were some of those people in your life? On your notes page, if some names have come to mind, I want you just to jot those down. Write them down off to the side there. You see, Paul says, how can they hear unless someone tells them? And the implication is they can't. You know, if, if you and I hadn't heard about the life-saving grace of Jesus, if no one had shared their story with us, we wouldn't know about it. And if you and I don't share our stories, and if we never tell others the good news of Jesus, do you know what happens? Nothing. It ends with us. And please understand that, that I fully embrace the sovereignty of God, okay? His plan will not be stopped. His will cannot be denied. But the question is, are you a participant in his plan or are you a hindrance to it? Because while everyone who is in Christ has a powerful story of how God moved them from death to life, the power of our stories will never be released until we share them with others. Paul says, how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? Now, there's a story in the book of Acts that I want to look at today uh, because it illustrates this point so well. You can turn to Acts chapter 8 and where we're going to meet a man named Philip. And this is typically understood to be a different Philip than the Philip who was a disciple of Jesus. This Philip is often referred to as the evangelist or the deacon because he was one of the original seven deacons of the Christian church in Jerusalem. 
And at the start of Acts chapter 8, we read that Saul, who we know better as Paul, began heavily persecuting the church in Jerusalem. And when this happened, Philip the evangelist headed to Samaria, and he began preaching the good news of Jesus to the Samaritans. And, And as he did that, the Samaritans heard his story, and they believed the good news, and they were baptized, and they were saved. Now watch what happens in verse 26. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Now pause right there. I don't want to rush past this. Philip has had a very fruitful ministry in Samaria. People are receiving the good news of Christ. They're being saved. New churches are being started. Kingdom work is being done. But the text says that an angel of the Lord came to Philip and he told him to go. And what does Philip do? He goes. No objection. No questioning. No wondering, you know, what's this about? Shouldn't I stay? There's so much work to do. No, he just goes. And what we see in Philip is complete obedience to the Lord. I don't want you to miss that. But reading on, it says, On his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So we find out that the man that he meets is from Ethiopia, and he is a eunuch. Now, in case you didn't know, a eunuch is typically understood to be a man who is missing some of his boy parts, okay? This was done intentionally to assure that no funny business would take place in the palace. It was done to protect the royal bloodline. So any men who would serve uh, within the, the king's court, the queen's court, would have intentionally had this procedure done to them as to protect the royal bloodline. That might be true of this man, but Matthew Henry's commentary suggests another possibility. He says that this man may have been a eunuch, not in body, but in office, a steward of the household, and either by the dignity of his place or by his personal character, which commanded respect, he was of great authority, and he bore a mighty sway under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He had the charge of all her treasure. So great a trust did she repose in him. So this is a man who is high up in the queen's court. This is a man who demanded respect. This is a man of integrity. He was trusted with the treasury of the queen. And one other detail we're given in Acts chapter 8. We're told that the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And so somewhere along the line, this eunuch had, uh, had embraced Judaism. And he has come from Ethiopia to worship the God of Israel. Now, in verse 28, we learn this. It says, On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So remember, we talked a few weeks ago about listening for the Spirit of God, about following his voice and being obedient to what the Spirit says. And an angel of the Lord has told Philip to come to this area. And now he's getting further direction straight from the Holy Spirit of God to stay near this man's chariot. In verse 30, it says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And so Philip says to him, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, the Ethiopian said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Talk about low-hanging fruit, right? 
It's like the Ethiopian had read Romans 10.14, which is impossible because it hadn't been written yet. But here he is reading the scriptures, trying to understand what they mean. And Philip's right there, ready to step in and to seal the deal. And verse 32 tells us, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Listen to this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And we hear that, those of us who are are in Christ, and we know this is talking about Jesus. But don't forget, don't forget that those outside of the church, they, they don't know. They don't know that this is pointing to the sacrifice that Christ made on your behalf and on mine. And the passage says that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. Man, I wish we had all the details of how this went down. What did Philip say? How did the Ethiopian respond? Did did Philip talk about his own story and the difference that Christ had made in his own life? We don't get to see that. But here's what we do know. Philip told this man the good news of Jesus. And because of Philip's faithfulness, verse 36 tells us that as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And maybe this is a good time to highlight something very important. And it's that in the New Testament, baptism almost always follows immediately after conversion. In fact, the New Testament does not entertain the idea of an unbaptized believer. And this is important because the Bible teaches that baptism is a picture. It's a symbol, really. Going under the water is like a burial. And coming up out of the water is like being raised to new life in Christ. It's why when we baptize people here at Genesis, we declare Romans 6.11, dead to sin and alive in Christ. And so we want to follow the command of Scripture. And that's why we practice baptism. And of course, some people will say, well, you know what, it's not that important. What about the thief on the cross? You know, didn't Jesus say, today you'll be with me in paradise? And he was never baptized. That's true. That's very true. But understand that the thief on the cross is the exception, not the rule. If you are physically unable to get in that water, That is a different conversation than the person who is physically able and yet refuses. You see, that's a matter of obedience. And the command is to be baptized. So if you have received Christ by grace through faith, but baptism isn't part of your story, it's time to correct that. It's time. And I want to strongly urge you to be baptized at one of our Easter services. Declare to this church and everyone who would come and see that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You can register for a baptism class online or on the app. But let me say again, the New Testament does not entertain the idea of an unbaptized believer. It's a matter of obedience. And I want you to obey this command. That's what the eunuch did. He gave orders to stop the chariot, and he and Philip went down into the water, and he was baptized. And again, it started because Philip was available 
and willing to share the good news with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I want to end the message with this question. What is our motive for sharing the gospel? What's the motive behind us asking you to, to share your story or us sharing our story? Why would Philip go out of his way to interact with this man? And why should you or I do the same? And I think it comes down to this. It's simply that we love God and we love people. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 tells us, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is that we would love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And he says that the second greatest commandment is that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And on a very practical level, this is what drives us to tell others about Jesus. This is the fuel that pushes us forward in sharing our stories, that we would love God so deeply that we would respond in obedience to his command to make disciples. And we would love people so completely that we would push past any barrier that might stop us from sharing the hope that's inside of us. That's it. Our motive is our love for God and our love for people. And I saw something that I found so interesting this week. Uh, How many of you are familiar with Penn and Teller? You recognize those names? If you don't know them, Penn and Teller, they're magicians, they're entertainers, and uh, they put on a great show. They do some amazing tricks. But uh, I heard a story this week, and what you, you may not be aware of is that Penn is very open about the fact that he's an atheist. And after one of his shows, a Christian man came up to him, and he gave Penn a Bible. And I was surprised by Penn's response to this. I want you to listen to what he said. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Certainly, Penn understands that sharing our stories, sharing our faith comes down to an issue of love or a lack of it. Listen, Kevin Russell pointed something out to me last week that I want to share with you. He said that Jesus and the disciples and Stephen and Paul and all of the early church modeled for us that we have to be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. But in the American church today, listen to this, the death that we may die is less likely a physical death and more likely a social death. Think about that for just a minute. We're so afraid to die socially by way of ridicule or rejection from our friends and our family and our coworkers, our neighbors, that we never share the story of what God has done in our lives. And the good news of Jesus ends 
with us. And until our love for God and our love for people brings us to the point that we are willing to die that social death and overcome the fear of rejection, we'll not likely be used by God to reach others with the love of Christ. And again, if you're in Christ, you have an important story to tell. Last week, we challenged you to write that story. This week, I'm challenging you to share that story. Let me give you two specific things I want you to do. The first is this. I want you to share your story with another Christ follower. Step number one is to share your story with another Christ follower. Maybe you've never shared the story of how Christ has changed you with anyone before. It feels weird the first time. So let's get some practice by sharing our stories with someone who is already in Christ. Maybe someone in your connection group or in your disciple-making groups or possibly just over coffee with a friend this week. But however you do it, take time to share your My Way Back story with at least one other Christ follower. And the the second challenge I want to set up with this, I want you to recognize that Easter is two weeks away. Two Sundays from now, actually the Thursday before, we'll start celebrating Easter. And just like Philip, we have a very unique opportunity in front of us, okay? Some low-hanging fruit for us, if you will. Easter is a time when people who normally have no interest in church all of a sudden become receptive to an invitation. Listen, we live in the Midwest, okay? We go to church on Easter. It's just what we do. So here's the second challenge. I want you to share your story with someone who is far from God. I want you to share your story with someone who is far from God, but I want you to do something else. If you're taking notes, I want you to circle that challenge specifically, and I want you to write the word pray all the way around that challenge because prayer is going to be your first step in succeeding at this part of the challenge. The real action step is that you would pray that God would give you an opportunity between now and Easter to share your my way back story. Pray that God would bring just the right person at just the right time and then when he does, be faithful and courageous when that opportunity is given because remember, How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And could it be that the someone God has in mind is you? Could it be that he is waiting for you to have the courage and the compassion and the boldness to tell the lost people in your life the good news of Jesus? In fact, I want you to go back to that first fill-in at the top of your page. And I want you to cross out the word someone. And I want you to write your name there. How can they hear about him unless I tell them? That's what Philip did. He told the man from Ethiopia, and it changed his life and his eternity. But you know what's so cool about this story? It didn't end with the Ethiopian eunuch. Not only did it make a difference for that one man, but there's actually reason to believe that it was much bigger than that. One Zondervan commentary says it this way. It says, before his ascension, Jesus said that the disciples would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the conversion of the Ethiopian marks an enormous stride forward toward the fulfillment of this goal. 
Because to Greeks and Romans, Ethiopia was at the ends of the earth. In describing Poseidon's trip to the Ethiopians, Homer said that they lived at world's end. And we read in Psalm 68:31 that envoys will come out of Egypt and Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. And early Christian tradition holds that the Ethiopian eunuch returned to his country, returned to his people at the ends of the earth, full of his newfound faith in Christ. And by his influence, the gospel spread. And through him, this scripture was fulfilled. How cool is that? Do you know? that it is estimated today that there are 500 million Christians in Africa. And it is projected that by 2030, 40% of the Christian population of the world will be from Africa. That's almost one in every two Christians from Africa. And it all started with one man, the Ethiopian eunuch. And it makes me wonder, what kind of impact could my story have What kind of impact could your story have? Let's love God enough to obey. Let's love people enough to share. And let's find out what God might want to do through us. Let's pray together. Father God, we do love you. And we thank you that you loved us, that you sent Christ, Father, when we were dead in sin to make us alive in you. And Father... Uh, We want to be obedient because we love you. We want to be obedient because we love your creation. We love your people. Father, you've given each one of us that is in Christ an incredible story to share. And it's the story of how you brought us out of sin and out of darkness and into light and how you are changing us more and more into the character of Christ. Father, but we recognize from Scripture, we recognize this morning that our, our stories uh, are only powerful as they come out of our mouths and into the lives of others who are still lost and dying without Christ. Lord, would you wake us up? Would you wake the American church up to the reality that you desire for us to share the good news of Christ with everyone we come in contact with? Would you find us faithful in prayer, Lord, always asking, who would you have me share with today? Who would you have me share your hope with? Who would you have me tell my story to? Father, would you find us faithful to that in this series, in this week, Father, but even beyond that, that we would just become people who are obedient to living a lifestyle of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Lord, we thank you for the difference that you've made in our lives. May you see our thankfulness in the way that we share it with others today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.